The Across Her Table podcast is constantly trying to tell stories that inspire. If you like what we are doing, could you please consider subscribing to us? We're a small indie podcast and small gestures of support from you can go a really long way for us. And while you're at it, do you mind giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts? When you recommend us to a friend, it helps us build stronger networks and reach more people. We can impact change simply by spreading the word. So share the joy. This is Mifra Abid from the Greater Toronto area and you're listening to Across Her Table. This is a podcast where I talk to remarkable Canadian women with immigrant roots and how they're contributing to the social narrative in Canada. Moving to Canada has been an adventure for me, and every day I meet inspiring women who have stories to tell, values to share, and so much to give to their communities. Let's get started. What does it feel like to advise Prime Minister Justin Trudeau when you're just 21 years old? That's one of the questions I ask Habon Ali. Habon has long advocated for social equity, especially for the racialized youth of Canada. Her own experience with racism made her realize how negative attitudes can severely impact the health of minority communities. She's a child of Somali refugees herself, who has always been trying to do her bit for the community since her teen years. She has slowly grown to become a youth icon with her vocal engagement with issues that affect young people. So welcome to Across the Table, Habon. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. I want to start first by congratulating you. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to tell our listeners that you recently graduated from the University of Toronto and you were the valedictorian at the virtual convocation last week and you're not going to you're not going to McMaster's for your yes. master's and you're also starting your internship at Mars. Yes, so, it's a great, it's a it's a really busy time, but alhamdulillah. <laughs> not what I expected, lot- but those a lot of achievements (laughs) yeah alhamdulillah and like um it 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 seems like a lot but this year has been also very trying and it's been marked by a lot of uh death and the pandemic so alhamdulillah i'm grateful for all the opportunities that i have and to still be able to go to school and work uh but it's Mm -hmm. definitely been uh 2020 is is quite the year You know, sometimes I wonder if I should write a book and say, you know, uh, the year of the pandemic and hindsight is always 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You should write that book. <laughs> because, Once we you know, yeah. <laughs> it really, it's, we're basically surviving this year, you know? Yeah, <laughs> this yeah point. it feels like the year of survival. Yeah. <laughs> so, Havan, let's start at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You started volunteering with community projects at a very young age. Yeah. So what prompted you into that? Absolutely. Um, it was a very personal experience. So just to give you a bit of uh, background of 
myself and my family. Um, I'm the daughter of two Somali refugees who came in the early 90s. And I come from a big family, alhamdulillah. I have three brothers and three sisters. They are my world. They're my best friends, like built-in best friends for life. Um, and my youngest brother was born actually when I was 14. So just beginning high school. And uh, he was born with a disability and he spent the first two years of his life at the kids hospital. So oh. uh, yeah, yeah, it was quite the experience. And um, so my parents would take turns going uh, and I would, I would tag along with them. And I became quite obsessed with like just trying to figure out what was happening, lugging my grade nine and 10 science teachers, um, keeping a binder, keeping notes, uh, going to meetings. And it was, it was really eye-opening. And that's where like, my passion for science sparked. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm grateful for that experience, but it was also a very difficult time because we didn't know what was happening. Uh, there was a lot of confusion. And unfortunately we were met with um, some racism, specifically anti-Black racism. Um, when we were uh, with my parents in the hospital, some of the healthcare providers were very dismissive um, and gave a condescending attitude and were just quite rude uh, mm -hmm. in, in the presence. So it was really hard uh, to navigate that. And that's, that's what stuck with me throughout that experience was uh, that feeling. And I, I, I couldn't shake it off. And um, my parents always reminded me that, you know, doctors mean well and they want to help. But uh, when there's issues of like bedside manners that affects care and like the family as well. Right. So mm -hmm. that's how I got involved in health promotion with Toronto Public Health as a youth advocate, where we focus on issues of tobacco prevention and health equity. Uh, in various communities throughout the city. And I just became obsessed with policy and going to community fairs and engaging with community and like helping uh, young people uh, to make sure that their voices were heard and respected, um, regardless of their background. I'm actually quite sorry that you had to face that as a, you know, you were basically a child at 14. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. your parents were going through a rough time, uh, mm -hmm. you know, knowing about your brother's condition too. So it can be it must have been quite demotivating to have to deal with that, you know, uh, on top yeah. of everything that you already had. Mm -hmm, so, absolutely. you know, and there's a lot of been discussion these days about, you know, anti-black -black racism, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, there's a lot of protests, there's a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people, and I would say this including myself, mm -hmm. uh, we are reevaluating our own prejudices and we want to become allies and we want to become mm -hmm. supporters. But mm -hmm. for a lot of people we don't know where to start exactly. you know yeah and so as a black muslim in canada what are some things you would like your allies to do more of and what are some of the things you would caution them against doing or saying yeah and and i think allyship is incredibly important and in order to navigate what's happening we need all hands on deck so police brutality um, and anti-black racism obviously isn't something new but with the recent events with george floyd and Regis Korczynski Paquette, even with the Toronto police, and uh, we're seeing like um, constant reminders of police brutality in our media and what what we're seeing and hearing and learning, and it's become the topic as protests are happening. Uh, and the mm -hmm. thing is that like systemic racism is something it's so deep rooted and it affects Black Canadians, um, you know, historically and currently. We it, it affects our health, our, our our opportunities at life, our education just our day-to-day, -day, uh, how we go about life as well. So it's, it's quite insidious. Um, so mm -hmm. it, I, to see like people wanting to become allies and, and trying to do the work, like this is, this is incredibly motivating. Um, but it could, it's also a, a quite emotional time for a lot of people. 
And I, I find that a lot of people are now um, turning to their to their black friends and saying, hey, can you can you teach me or like, uh, let, let's talk about this or let's debate this when it's not really something up for debate. Um, so mm-hmm. so I would try to avoid doing that. I think there there's so many resources online um, mm-hmm. where you can do the learning and, and, and or sort of check that. But as well, like, uh, let's let's look to the the organizations we're part of, the mosques, the after school clubs, uh, our kids and their friend circles, and like how are we treating uh, the Black Muslims in in our everyday common spaces, uh, mm-hmm. and seeing if we can create uh, and remove barriers for participation uh, and things of those nature. I think allyship shows up in a lot of ways, but it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. It's continuous. Mm-hmm. It's past tomorrow it's past next week it's past this month it's something that we all have to show up for each other as a community um Mm -hmm. there's no one way to be a good ally it's something we're going to get wrong and right even if i'm trying to be an ally to other members of the community as well uh it's something always continuously learning so take that education and that knowledge upon yourself because as muslims like you know we have the responsibility to do good by our communities, to be loving to each other, um, and to really check racism because it has no place in our community. Um, mm-hmm. So it's 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 our it's our responsibility um, to take upon that education upon ourselves and have those difficult conversations with our uh, with our families. You know, I think it's really important to have those conversations because it starts at the family unit. You know, what are we teaching our kids? What are we exposing our kids to? What are we teaching mm-hmm. them is right and wrong. So to have those difficult conversations but to also look at the organizations we're part of and the institutions and uh, what are ways we can meaningfully support each other. I think that's a good start. Haban, there was um, a speech of yours that I heard and mm-hmm. one quote from you, it just caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And you said that tolerance in itself cannot be a goal. Mm-hmm. And for a second, I did a double take because all this while we've been told, oh, tolerance is good. Tolerance is what we should aim for. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm doing a rethink, like, is that enough? Mm-hmm. So what made you, you know, think on those lines? Well, um, like even for me, I think it goes back to like the 2015 election. And I mm-hmm. really struggled with belonging because in that election, we saw a lot of Islamophobic narratives being thrown around by the conservative party to try to win the election. Um, mm-hmm. And as a visible Muslim, you know, I took the bus every morning. I was going to school. I had an 8 a.m. bus and I had some negative interactions with people who lived in my neighborhood who felt mm-hmm. emboldened to say Islamophobic things, to say racist things, because we had someone who was a leader of the country saying some pretty mm-hmm. uh, strong things, you know. And when I mm-hmm. think of tolerance, you know, I, when I was writing that speech, actually, for the Bentway, I was actually thinking about my experience during that election, which actually sort of pushed me into advocacy, uh, mm-hmm. because like, to sort of feel like a second class citizen within the country that you were born is something very uh, demotivating. It's, it, it, it ruins morale. It, it actually has uh, very negative health impacts as well for, for many mm-hmm. of our community members. So for me, um, personally, like tolerance is, is, is just, it can't be our goal because you tolerate things that are annoying. You tolerate things that are a nuisance that, um, you know, are bothering, uh, that bother you in the day-to-day life. But tolerance mm-hmm. can't be our goal because we're human beings. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, every single person deserves basic dignity and respect uh, within their communities, r- um, regardless of their background, regardless of where they're from. Uh, people people deserve respect. And I strongly believe that. So when I think of tolerance, I think of how we have to endure things that, that we don't like or that annoy us. 
So that's why I said tolerance isn't a goal because I feel that we can we can do much better than tolerance. Definitely, definitely. So how is it like growing up in a Somali household in Canada in the 90s? Have you ever been to Somalia? Somali families are pretty large. Typically, uh, not everyone, it's, but it's pretty it's pretty typical to to see large families and I'm very I'm very lucky to have like more than 10 aunts and uncles on each side. Uh, of my family so I grew up surrounded by cousins in Toronto you know regularly seeing aunts and uncles uh, alhamdulillah like um, my grandparents at that time that were alive even growing around uh, growing up with them and learning the language you know I learned Somali at a very young age so I'm very lucky I could speak um, and I did go to Somalia once actually to visit my grandma uh, it was a wonderful experience I was very young so I, I don't remember a lot of it but it definitely sticks out uh in as as like a memorable experience mm-hmm. yeah now i also want to tell my listeners that habon has been part of the first ever youth council in prime minister justin trudeau's office and that basically means that she and her team advised him and the cbc and the government of canada on youth issues so how did that happen habon that was quite the experience uh it's actually a really funny uh not really funny story but uh, it happened on accident like it was it was it, it seemed like luck um essentially uh, it was in my second year my dad saw a tweet uh, on twitter and it said that like the youth council was recruiting and he forwarded it to me and he said hey why don't you give this a chance i know you care deeply about politics you're always following the news uh you want to know what's happening and how to how to how to how to create change. And uh, he said, this might be a good opportunity for you. So I looked at it and the application wasn't that intensive. It just asked to list your education, some of your community involvement uh, and a couple of questions that they had. So I spent a night filling it out uh, and I didn't hear back from them that year. And it was actually my third year. I was in midterms around November uh, and I got an email to do an online interview for the youth council, which was pretty random because they got thousands of applications. So um, the selection process is quite, um, it's it's unique is that they do, they want to get youth that represent, um, that are representative of Canada. So some people are picked due to their geographical region. Some people are picked due to the community involvement. And some people are picked through random selection as well. So uh, it varies. And, and I went through that interview process and I didn't hear back until April uh, of, the, of the following year. Uh, April 2018, where I found out I was uh, I was actually accepted to the council. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So my next question is actually for our younger listeners, and there are a lot, there are a lot of them who probably want to know that uh, what happens exactly at the youth council, and what exactly do you do there? Yeah, I can I can I can I can give you some background. So I I believe it's something uh, it's something that the Prime Minister cares deeply about, and um, he always he's always looking for ways to engage the youth voice. So this was something that he personally set up. Uh, and I believe most liberal MPs uh, have a youth council. So if this is something that your listeners are interested in, uh, they should look up their MP, uh, see if it's a liberal MP or even if it's not, uh, and just see if they have a youth council as well. Uh, uh-huh. It's pretty common. Uh, and essentially at the, at the PMYC, we are a group of young Canadians who come together to provide nonpartisan advice to the Prime Minister and Government of Canada. So Mm -hmm. we meet in person usually every two to three months. Now, due to coronavirus, all of the meetings are online. uh, But we generally have one teleconference call a month, too. So even in the months that we're away, we're staying connected. And there are different uh, issues that we talk about. 
uh, at every meeting. It can be anything from food security to affordable housing, uh, to anti-Black racism, to gun violence, to mental health, uh, gender-based wow. violence, reconciliation, the environment. So it's wow. an incredible topic. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we do have the opportunity to bring uh, some of the experiences that we have uh, from our communities, whether uh, it's a challenge that we're facing that we're looking to bring light to uh, and advocate for, or if it's uh, some solutions that we see or a project or youth that we want to tap into. So it, the experience is what you make of it. But mm -hmm. the general purpose of it is to provide advice to the PM. And we were involved in actually creating Canada's first national youth policy. So I came at wow. a very exciting time. Uh, but yeah, that's the general gist of what we do. Yeah. How did you feel when you first met Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Oh, I, I was like nervous and intimidated because I think someone had had like at the at the youth secretariat, which they they managed the the youth council and our activities, and they helped facilitate our meetings as well. They told us, oh, like he 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 had went through your application, so he he's the one who selected you all. So I was like, what in mm -hmm. my video application? was it that they, they chose me to be on this council so I was curious but it's also like the prime minister of the country and at that time I was what like 20 I think I was 20 years old 21 20 um and we, we traveled to Ottawa and we were there for a three-day meeting I was nervous but I was also in the boardroom with like these incredible young Canadians and hearing their story so I was feeling very inspired by all the other youth around me and I think that honestly the best part of the, about the youth council is the the fellow young people I've met and their ambition and their drive to connect and create social good um, has to be the best experience of, of the entire youth council but I was nervous uh, and he entered the room and he was very much himself and um, I think the first time we met I was very silent because I didn't know what to say or like how do you speak to the prime minister <laughs> i know right <laughs> uh but yeah but yeah that the novelty wore off uh, eventually and now it's very easy to have conversations and i don't get nervous anymore or <laughs> i don't know how many people i'll ever meet in my life who'll say oh i'm not nervous uh talking to justin trudeau anymore <laughs> no, he's he's, a, he's incredibly um he's easy to talk to he's a very easygoing uh, individual, but yes, like the it's been two years on the council, so I think um, we there's still like when we speak about issues and bring them up, there's still nervousness and like um, things to think about, and we get to we got to even travel to uh, none of it, so uh, that was a really cool experience as well, and we're learning, and um, the experience is not lost on me, uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess I guess um, it's a little different, yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the key issues uh, or youth issues you wanted the government to play uh, to pay close attention to uh, for me it was uh, definitely gun violence which is a huge issue um, in the community unfortunately you know a lot a lot of uh, young Somali Canadians have prayed more funerals for young people in our communities than we have for the elderly um, mm. and there's a lot of reasons for that um, and the response uh, has been to look at it as like, you know, a guns and gangs issue, but like there's community safety, there's education, there's discrimination, mm -hmm. there's opportunity. There's a lot of uh, different factors to consider. Um, mm -hmm. That's definitely something that I brought up a lot and spoke about. 
um, but also uh, issues of poverty and inequality uh, because I care deeply about community and um, the social well-being of everyone and and like and the ability for people to just live healthy fruitful lives like I think we should all we should all have access to that uh, and unfortunately mm-hmm. it's not the reality for a lot of uh, Canadians mm-hmm. now let's talk about the Mars Discovery District also known as the medical related sciences which I'd like to tell our listeners is one of the world's largest innovation hubs so yeah. why do you apply there and what do you hope to do there it's actually really funny. So um, I'm, I'm, I was graduate. Obviously, I was looking forward to graduation uh, this year. Um, and but I also like I work. So my previous job uh, was at the student union where I was vice president of equity. But my term was set to end in May. But um, I'm always usually working. I, I'm as like most young Canadians. We're paying for education. We're paying for like life. And so I was looking for my summer job or something I could do to save money for. Uh, my master's and um, just just to have some pocket money uh, and <laughs> yeah like and um, my brother actually sent me this internship posting um, and it said that they were looking uh, it's so Mars has uh, different initiatives and um, uh, partner groups under it and one of the uh, initiatives that was hiring at the time is called Opportunity for All Youth where I'm currently working mm-hmm which is an initiative that's looking to hire 40,000 youth who fit the category that are not in employment, not in education or not in training. So meet youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something deeply personal to me because I come from a community, a neighborhood called Rexdale uh, and our neighborhood uh, you know, is a lower income neighborhood uh, mm-hmm. and with youth from various backgrounds. So like um, employment is, is like um I feel like employment allows restores dignity for a lot of youth and gives them the opportunity to access food, transit, education. So like a lot of young people in our community work from when they're like 15, from like summer camp, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen like how employment can uh, transform lives for a lot of young people in our community. Uh, mm-hmm. And this initiative at Mars was essentially looking to um, help those youth make their first break, get their first experience um, and so that they could open up more doors uh, and mm-hmm. and it goes from everything from helping from interviews to working with employers to working with community service providers uh, and they also were looking to create uh, a more youth engagement which is something I was comfortable with so personally I didn't have experience in employment so when I first saw the job posting I said no I'm not going to apply but then my brother was like a lot of your <laughs> skills are transferable you should double you should just think about this again and mm-hmm. I did, and I applied, and it worked out. And while uh, I don't have a technological or employment uh, workforce development background, uh, a lot of the things that I've done in terms of youth engagement and community building are transferable because I'm still talking to youth. I'm engaging with them in design jams. Uh, I'm trying to figure out solutions with them and to amplify their voice within this space. So, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible place to be, and I, I hope I can always work in a place or in a career that allows me to to not only help myself but help others and the community inshallah inshallah for us all (laughs) (laughs) one of the other things i wanted to talk about is uh, another quote from one of your speeches i really love your speeches you know to be honest (laughs) you're so kind um and it's one other thing that you know stuck out to me was you said it's just it's distressing to feel out of place at home Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it kind of hit me hard because now I I call Canada my home for all practical reasons, exactly. even though I'm fairly new to this country, but it's home for me now. Exactly. And <clears throat> I've experienced that. I've experienced that too. Maybe not to a great extent because over and all, I've had very positive experiences in Canada, but yep. yes, there have been experiences. How often have you felt uh, or made to feel out of home? Is it a common thing? I think gr- growing up, it was pretty common, especially, you know, um, uh, wearing a hijab, uh, uh, being in uh, sometimes uh, political spaces where people don't look like you, like even if it isn't intentional, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's when people don't understand um, culture or religion and 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 don't have the openness to understand, you can start to feel out of place. Or if teachers or workplaces, like you know, I I think many times I've felt uh, like the other, and I think um, a lot of a lot of uh, racialized or Muslim youth can can relate to that experience as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also mentioned the 2015 election and and the, the toll that had on me as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there was always a question of like my Canadianness and like mm-hmm. are are you really Canadian or you speak your your English is so well you're so well articulated or you mm. you you speak so well it comments like that or where are you from and then it keeps going to like where are you really from and uh next thing you know it's, it's like this um it's always like your question as to uh whether you're Canadian or not or even in an advocacy sometimes when you speak out mm-hmm. about issues um there have been some comments that like I've seen a lot of uh, young women who share my identities as well receive where it's like you should be grateful um, for everything this country has done for you like be mm. like and and sort sort of like to be dismissive of like some of the experiences we share as well um, mm-hmm. so like it, it it happens unfortunately it's something I've come to recognize and uh, live with but um, I definitely don't accept it yeah mm. Uh, one of the things that you just said about where you're from, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, when we were uh, brainstorming the uh, the concept behind this podcast, mm-hmm. and it's one of the things I told my husband is that where you're from, we're going to turn that question at it on its head. Exactly. <laughs> because that's one of the first questions we ask all our guests is where you're from, and we think it's a source of strength. Yeah. It's a source of... Uh, it, it, it just enriches our experience, you know, being from two different cultures. And, exactly. and it's not to say, it's not to say that if you're only from, if you identify only one culture, you're any way less, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, the implication that where you're from is like, you don't belong here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that often happens. So, so that's when I saw your podcast. I was really happy to see you sharing these stories um, because like even, even myself, like, yes, I'm, I'm a Muslim, I'm black, I'm a woman. But I don't like these these identities in themselves are so rich. And like the, mm-hmm. the black community is not a monolith. The Muslim community is so diverse. Women mm-hmm. have very different experiences. Right. Uh, for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. So like to be exploring this in the way that you are, I think, is incredibly powerful. And you're yeah. doing you're doing something really special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just tell my children yeah. that you will never be just Canadian, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you just, so why not just embrace that identity? Like you have India in you and, you know, just that's part of your identity and it's, you don't have to be ashamed of that. And I learned so much from people who have been born here, who've been lived here for generations Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that. So, you know, it's just, you know, just mutual respect, mutual, uh, you know, you're just happy to learn something from someone who's different from you (laughs) and we have we have such rich histories and traditions um 
and and it's like uh, why should we have to give that up to be to be accepted as Canadians I think yes. I think that's that's incredibly wrong to expect that from someone but also like um, my parents came as refugee they were fleeing um, like persecution war like mm-hmm. these are very like traumatic experiences as well right so um, mm-hmm. life would have been very different but um, we we have to keep those traditions and culture alive and I don't mm-hmm. think these two things are at odds so like I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. proud to call myself a Somali Canadian um, mm-hmm. I would never dismiss uh, any of my identities these are these are my identities uh, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be critical or explore like what does it mean to be a Canadian whose land are we on where do we benefit mm-hmm. where are we what communities are being hurt throughout this process, but also like it, identities are complex, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like a, a, a single experience. So um, I don't think we can tell anybody how they should identify. But, uh, mm-hmm. And that's something deeply personal as well. Yeah. Yes. And also the fact that uh, the refrain that you mentioned that you should be grateful. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, why is there assumption that we're not grateful? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I think to to question, to question is so powerful and to want better um, for the place that you live and the the place that you call home is, is, is so incredible. Like that, that, that is good. That's what we should strive for because the second we Mm -hmm. stop questioning, we allow things to go um, Mm. uh, like unchecked for why. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, last question, you know, Habon, what are the Mm -hmm. words of advice you would give to any young listeners out there? Mm Mm-hmm that you belong, that your voice matters. I think often uh, the voices and experiences of young people are dismissed. Like they're young. What do they know? They can't vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's these like, these, but we care deeply about issues. And, and I see in our generation as well, social issues, but also like every, every issue is a youth issue. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. affect us now, it's going to affect us at some point. Um, mm-hmm. So I think youth bring a very valuable perspective to the table because they aren't only thinking about themselves. They're thinking mm-hmm. about um, a lot more than, than than themselves. So I would tell them to get involved, to ne- never let anyone dim their light or tell them that they can't do something. Um, you are, Like something my dad always t- t- tells me is that remove you can't or I can't from your uh, vocabulary and give everything 100%. Like have ihsan and excellence in everything you do. Uh, and then you because you never know what what something could be or an opportunity or your dream or to not give up on things easily um, mm-hmm. failure is it's hard rejection is hard um, um, believe it or not I experience it a lot <laughs> I think I've just become a, a very comfortable at you know taking my L's and um, and being okay with my losses and uh, once you get comfortable with failure and rejection um, you you grow you grow a lot yeah Hmm. Yeah. Okay, that that's amazing word of uh, words of advice. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's very generic, but I hope it's helpful. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it will be. Yeah. So this was great. You know, Habon, I hope mm-hmm. we can call you more often on the podcast to share your perspectives. I would love to. I think what you're doing is amazing to be amplifying the voices of women in the community who are often not heard or showcased or celebrated. Um, and I can't wait to listen to all your podcasts as well because I haven't had the chance to yet. <laughs> okay, yeah. so now I'm going to hound you for that. <laughs> yes, I'm going to listen. I'll, I'll be, I'll be. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the podcast, Abon. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
If you like this episode, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast from. We would also love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or just email us at feedback at acrossatable.com. <laughs>